So now in February, we're almost at the one-year mark of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. We don't talk too much about the war on the podcast. There's there's a lot else out on that, and we're not going to be the best people to, to cover the sort of nitty-gritty of that in most cases. But in recent months, Germany's been in the spotlight in terms of Western support for Ukraine. The gist of it, I think most people will have heard of this, Ukraine wants Western tanks. They're sort of better tank-for-tank quality than the Soviet-era ones that both Russia and Ukraine are using. Although they're a lot less numerous, um, they're also more difficult to repair and maintain. So they're a bit more... It's a bit more of a high-performance machine, you know. It's like a a, a Porsche instead of a, a Lada, if you will. So Germany produces the Leopard 2 tank Rheinmetall, um, great, great business, and the, the, the German defense manufacturer. Uh, it's very popular in European armies. And it's also worth pointing out the name, you know, any sort of one with a, with a casual interest in World War II will know the famous German Wehrmacht tanks, like the, the Panther and the Tiger tanks or would be the famous ones. You know, they name them after big cats. Uh, the, the, Nazi, the Nazi military did this. And it's sort of interesting that the modern Federal Republic of Germany, which has, which you know, learned from its past and is, is not part of this Nazi tradition at all, that they're actually, they have actually readopted this, uh, this naming trend. Um, and so, like I said, this is the Leopard 2 we're now talking about mostly. There's also a Leopard 1, which dates from the 60s. And the reason they named it the Leopard was specifically as a callback to the Wehrmacht, um, as a way to sort of channel the like tanking prowess of the German military. Um, so go listen to our episodes with uh, Jan Tattenberg about the Wehrmacht and the sort of ongoing legacy of World War II German leaders in the post-war Federal Republic of Germany, because I think this 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 leopard tie is, is a big thing in the same way that the the tanking generals of World War II then wrote books and that became very influential for NATO doctrine and so on. They also explicitly did a callback to the naming conventions of the World War II German tanks, which is why we're now we're on, now on the second iteration. But that's why it's the leopard. And so. Ukraine's been saying, hey, we need tanks, we want to win. You know, the West wants Ukraine to take its territory back. All makes sense. Um, you know, Ukraine, can't blame them. They want everything they can get. The West has a lot of high-technology weapons. Um, you know, they, they want whatever they can get. Like I said, makes sense. To be clear in the way this is talked about, though, is it? it's as if, like, Russia has all the tanks and Ukraine is just the sort of, like, plucky little, you know, sort of... the. Uh, David throwing stones at the big the, the big Goliath of the Russian tanks or something like that. That's not really the case. Obviously, Russia has a much larger military. It's a, it's a much larger country. But Ukraine had about 900 tanks when the war started. They've also they've been losing a lot. Estimates about 100 a month. Uh, they've also captured a lot of Russian tanks, and, and you know they continue to to produce some and have gotten some of the older Soviet era tanks given to them already by countries like Poland, the Czech Republic. The difference there is these are like the T era, like mostly T-72s, I believe, and it goes all the way up to like T-90, which which Russia has, which is the newer ones. Um, also the same naming convention as as World War II, for what it's worth, with the, the famous Russian or Soviet T-34 from World War II. They just sort of keep upping the number. But they've only been given to date Soviet-era tanks, giving them like the fancy Western ones was seen as sort of a red line. 
but I just want to make that clear that it's not like Ukraine has zero tanks and this is this is totally you know total total mismatch. They also have a lot of other Western weapons, of course, um, sort of armored fighting vehicles and fancy missiles, anti-tank missiles, the javelin, etc. So there's a reason they've been holding out pretty well. Obviously, very competent at fighting, but they've also gotten um, you know th- their share of, of very sophisticated and effective weapons, both from the West and from the old Soviet era tanks that they have. Which leads us to this sort of current thing and why it's a bit hysterical. Um, there's this, it's been in the sort of uh, German blob, you could call it, like the, the foreign policy establishment, this real online free the leopards campaign, making it this like huge deal that Germany needs to give leopards to Ukraine. And they also need to okay other countries to give them because there's like a clause if you manufacture weapons for another country, then Germany can say, no, you can't give that away. So if like, I don't know, Denmark wants to give Ukraine German-made tanks, they need Germany's permission, at least on paper. So that's why Germany has been seen as sort of like the key kind of, the key player and the key sort of part of the, the lock that needed to be open here. But I think it is fair to say as much as, you know, there's there's something to this, you know, Ukraine wants some tanks, fair enough. But it's very out of proportion to the actual impact of this. Like I said, they started the war with almost a thousand tanks, and we're talking about a few dozen here in total. As it now stands, since Schultz has approved this, and other countries will also donate some, also he has gotten the, um, since they donate in every case, in some cases sell, looks like there'll be about... 80 Leopard 2s, 88 Leopard 1s, which um, a lot of tankies on Twitter have uh, pointed to some symbolism of that number of German tanks being sent east to fight the Russians, but it's a bit, it's a bit hack, I think. The UK is also sending its Challenger tanks, and the US is sending its fancy Abrams tanks. There was a whole big back and forth about this because the Abrams has a special engine and requires a bunch of maintenance and it's a whole big nightmare to maintain. And a lot of people were saying like this doesn't this doesn't really make that much sense like to have now I think four different countries types of tanks like their sort of Soviet lineage and then the UK version, the like German made Leopard and the US Abrams. So now they're going to have four different types of tanks that all take different parts, different engines. You know, it's going to be a it's going to be a logistical mess, but you know they're they're fancy tanks and they're excited about it. The point of saying all of this is that this isn't going to be some decisive thing on the battlefield. Like it was hailed as this massive turning point. You know, there there are thousands of tanks in the field here. This is a, a huge area, um, and it looks like they'll be in total. Maybe they'll be able to field like a, a division of the the latest tanks, like of not counting the Leopard twos, like maybe about 130, which is one tank division. Like this isn't gonna win the war. It's it's a political gesture, and and that's fine, and that's important to to show the support, and that's now what the Western countries have decided to do. But to be clear, we're talking about a political gesture because Germany has already sent lots of weapons. It's the second behind the U.S., but it takes all of this flack for betraying Ukraine, for being the, the weak link of the West and all of this. And it, it, it's a bit out of whack with actually what's going on. It seems like everyone wants to sort of identify a culprit. Germany has provided a, a very easy punching bag for a lot of the press. And, and you've seen this. I want to focus on one one specific author here who's written one of the more unhinged pieces about this. 
But just to sort of talk briefly to show, you know, what I mean here, in terms of the other headlines, you know, we have the Telegraph has said that Germany is now the West's weak link. Uh, in The Guardian, um, Tim Garden Ash writes that if Germany has truly learned from its history, it will send tanks to defend Ukraine. So he basically inverts this argument. You'll often hear that Germany won't send weapons to a war zone because it's learned from its past. And he says, no, 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 you have to. If you want to learn from your past, you have to send them here to, to defend against tyranny. Deutsche Welle, why Ukrainians feel betrayed by Germany. Bloomberg had one from Max Hastings. Ukraine failures show Germany is Europe's weak link. The spectator, German stinginess is betraying Ukraine. So you get the idea here. This is a very common trope across a lot of the Anglophone media. They really like beating up on Germany for not being gung-ho enough about this war. And so this now gets into this thing you'll hear over and over and over. Like I said, the sort of you know lessons of the past and the sort of like mythically conjured up thing about the, the German character. Quoting again, Germany's allies, including Washington, often ascribe German recalcitrance to a knee-jerk pacifism born of the lessons learned from its dark past. In other words, the German strategy, do nothing, blame the Nazis, is working. So this knee-jerk pacifism um, is just not, I don't really, it's just a totally made-up thing. Um, doesn't really make any sense. Because, of course, Germany is a member of NATO, a military alliance, legally obligated to go to war if any other NATO member is attacked. Germany was, of course, in Afghanistan for 20 years beside the U.S. It also helped intervene in uh, former Yugoslavia. Germany, Germany has been to war. They're also a very big arms manufacturer. So he goes on to say, throughout the Cold War, Germany's involvement with NATO was driven by a strategy to take advantage of the protection the alliance afforded, delivering no more than the absolute minimum, while also expanding commercial relations with the Soviets. So if this dark past thing is iffy, this is just outright completely factually incorrect. This is 100% wrong. Germany's involvement with NATO was driven by a strategy to take advantage of the protection, delivering no more than the absolute minimum. Completely wrong. If you look back at the actual military statistics in 1990, sort of the last time that countries were at their main Cold War strength, the active manpower of the German military, Western military, was 469,000 troops. That is about 8,000 more than France had, and... 190,000 more than Britain had, which is sort of always lauded as like a big, uh, important military power in Europe. So biggest of the Western European nations. And the U.S. had about 2 million. So it's about a quarter of the U.S., which is in line with the, the population differences. So it's, it's like Germany had a huge military, thousands of tanks, hundreds of helicopters. Like, this is, this is an extremely, extremely formidable military. Like, the Bundeswehr during the Cold War was massive. And yes, they did demobilize it quite substantially. You know, by 2018, they only had 179,000 troops. But to use this argument that there's a deep, ingrained pacifism or that Germany never had a substantial military during the Cold War is just totally ahistorical and totally wrong. And you'll see it in so many articles about the German military today. T 
tracing this lineage to a past that simply doesn't exist. So anytime you see Germany, lessons of war, pacifism, always been mooching off NATO, wrong, wrong, wrong. You'll see it everywhere in reputable outlets. It's bullshit. 